What is Essentials? Well, Essentials is where you discover everything you need to find connection and purpose here at chapel. So that means if you're looking to see how do I join, how to become a member at chapel, Essentials. Well, how do I get connected to a team or serve here at chapel? Essentials. You know, how do I understand what the purpose of chapel is? Essentials. It's where you find all the answers, all that stuff. It's a three-step journey, and it begins next Sunday during the 11 o'clock service, so you can still come to church, have a little few snacks during Essentials, get connected, all that stuff, and you can scan that QR code or just text the word Essentials to 256-670-2860 or just swing by Connection Point and it'll hook you up. So a lot of good stuff going on. If you have your Bibles, you're going to turn to Luke chapter 17 as we continue our Moving Mountains series. The first week we talked about how some things in the kingdom of God only advance through prayer and fasting. That's one of the reasons we're in a season of prayer and fasting. Last week we talked about what is faith. You know, we talk about faith. Is it a noun? Is it a verb? And we talk about faith as many things, but one of the things faith is, is a currency. It's the currency of the kingdom of heaven. Faith is how you receive everything in the kingdom. You don't receive it by works or through religion. You receive it by faith. And next we're going to talk about how do you activate your faith or how do you release your faith to see things happen and see mountains move. Uh, But today I want to talk about how do you increase or get more faith. All right, how many of you remember your first job growing up? Some of you didn't even have a first job. You're still not working. Like, like my dad didn't teach me a whole lot. My, my dad will tell you, uh, he didn't teach me a whole lot about, he didn't teach me anything about faith or Jesus. What my dad really taught me was hard work. Like, I remember as a young kid, he would tell me in baseball, you, you know, if your parents use your full name, you know you're in trouble. So my name is Bobby, but my real name is Robert Joseph. I didn't even know that was my name until kindergarten. They called out your legal name, and they're like, Robert Joseph Gorley. And I'm like, there's somebody with the same last name as me. Right? But in baseball or basketball, if I got in trouble, I'd hear my dad yell, Robert Joseph. And I knew I was in trouble. He would say, give 110%, which is impossible because you can only give 100%. And so my dad, at a young age, six years old, we... We, bought a, uh, we had a new mobile home on a piece of property and it had a bunch of rocks all over the place. Every day during the summer at six years old, I had to fill up a wheelbarrow full of rocks from the yard. Every day. Which now looking back is probably child abuse now that I think about it. But like, he, he would teach me hard work. And so I remember when I was 15 years old, I would work either with my dad during the day. In the evening, I would umpire baseball. Or the Saturdays, I'd umpire baseball from sunup to sundown or I'd officiate basketball, or I had a buddy whose dad had a farm. He said, we can, we can haul hay for 10 cents a bale. I thought it would be rich till I realized to haul hay, you have to take it off the ground, put it on the trailer, take it off the trailer, put it in the barn, and then put it in the loft to get your 10 cents. So it's really like two cents a lift. And so I, I would do that. And then when I got in the Air Force, I worked as an Air Force during the, during the night, I worked a night shift, and I did what they called, and listen, do not put this online, an escort service, which is not what you think it is. <laughs> I worked at the National Security Agency in the Air Force, so you'd have a top secret clearance, and there's always contractors doing renovations, remodel in secure areas, and so an escort had a clearance, and they would watch them to make sure they didn't get in, which now is crazy, into any classified documents and take them home and put them in their garage or at their house. I would do that, and then on the, and the weekends, I would valet. And you say, well, why would you do that? Why are you working so much? Well, when I was in high school, we didn't have much money, and I wanted a pair of Jordans. And if my dad couldn't get me Jordans, I was going to work and get my Jordans. 
We didn't have enough money for a car. I wanted a car, so I had to work to get money because I wanted a low-rider truck. That's what I wanted. And I worked and worked and worked, so I needed more currency to get what I needed or what I wanted. So the way to get currency in America is to work harder or to get a job that pays you more money. And the Air Force is because the same thing. I had cars, I had things I wanted to do, so I needed more currency. When the kids were young, we had four kids under the age of four. I'd work 90 hours a week because I realized overtime pays time and a half. But then it's really half the time because taxes take that time and a half away from you. And I worked that much because our kids were young and they were all in diapers at one point. And diapers are expensive. So in life, if you need something or you want something, it may not be a pair of Jordans. Maybe it's a new home. Maybe it's a new car. Maybe it's to pay off debt. Sometimes you just have to work harder to get more currency. But if faith is the currency of the kingdom of heaven, and there's things you need spiritually, maybe it's a promise that you need from God. Maybe it's to move a mountain out of your way. Maybe it's to see uh, promises you feel like God has given you for your family or for your marriage. Or maybe it's for healing in your body. Maybe it's for financial provision. Whatever it may be. How do you get more currency in the spiritual realm? How do I get more in the kingdom currency or kingdom money? How do I increase my faith to get what I need in the kingdom of heaven. In Luke chapter 17, it says this. Starting in verse 5, it says, The apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. Everybody say increase. Increase our faith. And the Lord said, If you had faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Literally, the, the, the disciples, Jesus, I'm, I'm sharing just a second, the disciples had learned a teaching from Jesus that they felt was too hard for them to walk out. A, a principle, a kingdom principle, they didn't feel like they could accomplish or they could believe or they could hold on to. And so they said, increase our faith. And Jesus says, well, if you had just a little bit of faith, you could do great things, which means most of our faith level is too low, but there is room to increase it. There is room to, to grow your faith. There is room to uh, increase your capacity for faith. And it's interesting, the teaching that Jesus just teached was if somebody offends you, if somebody hurts you, if somebody harms you. Actually, in Luke 17, I'm going to read it to you. He says, it says this. It says, and he said to his disciples, temptation to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one who they come through. It would be better for if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. And immediately the apostle said, you mean I got to forgive my mother-in-law? You mean I got to forgive that guy who stole that money from me in my business deal? You mean I got to forgive my ex-wife who cheated on me? You mean I got to forgive this person who cut me off in traffic? You mean I got to forgive this person if they do it seven times in one day and ask forgiveness seven times in the same day? I still got to forgive them? Jesus says, yes, forgive them. They said, whew, increase my faith. You know, Jesus, we can go back to the Sermon on the Mount. Like you talk about, you know, prosperity and salvation of my sins and forgiving my sins. I got faith for that. But I don't know if I have faith to forgive these people who are harming me and hurting me. I don't know if I have faith to forgive these people that, that hurt my family. Maybe they abused somebody in their family or they, they murdered somebody in their family. They stole from somebody in your family or they broke your heart or they broke your trust. I don't know if I have the faith for that. And they said, Lord, increase our 
faith in Jesus. Well, if you just had the faith for mustard seed, which means all of us start pretty low in the capacity of faith. But the good news is you can increase it. You can increase your faith because faith is, is not static. It's not something that's just a, 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 a static fixture in your life. It's dynamic. And if you don't know what that means, static is something that's unchangeable. It is what it is. Something that's dynamic is uh, energy or it's, it's changeable or it can change an IT world. A static IP address stays the same. A dynamic IP address is constantly changing or increasing or adapting. Your faith is not static. When you got saved, God expected your faith to grow in increase. He did not expect your faith to stay the same after you're saved till you die. You should continually increase your trust in Jesus the more you get to know him. And the Bible, some people think there's only one type of faith. You have faith. It's just faith. No, the Bible mentions many different levels of faith. And everyone in this room is in a certain level of faith. Regardless if you're saved or unsaved, you have faith in something. You have some form or fashion of faith. And so if you'll throw that slide up there, it says this. One, Jesus talks about no faith. But you have no faith at all, which is a life void of trust and obedience in God. Meaning you just don't have any trust in God. You have no faith in anything. You're hopeless. You have no faith in the government, no faith in yourself, no faith in Jesus. Just no faith at all. You can have futile faith, which is faith in a God that does not exist. Meaning you're chasing after idols that are false idols. You're chasing after ideas that are fake. You're chasing after philosophies that don't produce any, any hope or truth or salvation in your life. You have dead faith, which is hope without trust or action. Meaning you say you have faith, you have hope, but you don't actually live like you have hope. James calls that dead faith. Meaning you have faith without works or faith without action or faith without behavior. It's actually dead. You can have weak faith, faith that trusts in religion and works. Jesus talks about through the Apostle Paul in Romans, talks about he had faith, but it was weak because he was trusting in the law. Meaning maybe your faith is not in Jesus, but it's in Christian attendance, church attendance. Maybe it's in Christian duty. Maybe it's in, in the government. Maybe it's in some works that you do. You have saving faith, which is faith rooted in God's grace, that everyone who gets saved is granted saving faith. You have little faith, faith that wavers during adverse circumstances. Jesus, when he encounters the disciples on the boat, they've been following Jesus, but now all of a sudden their faith is weakened because there's a storm in their life. He says, how are you having such little faith? After you've seen the miracles, you've seen the teachings, you've seen me walk on water, you've seen all these things, and then one little storm comes, and you waver. Little faith. You can have growing faith, Faith that refuses to be static. I mean, it wants to grow. It wants to increase. It wants to see all that God has planned for you. It wants to see the promises of God come to pass. It wants to see you advance and get out of your comfort zone. It's a growing faith. There's strong faith. Faith that endures temptation, persecution, and even time. I mean, it's strong. It, it endures when those storms come. This faith is an anchor to your soul that you can hold on, that no matter how bad it gets, your faith is still strong. No matter what the doctor says, your faith is still strong. No matter what the news says, your faith is still strong. No matter how you feel or your emotions, your faith is still strong. And then there's great faith, a faith based on a childlike belief. In God, his promises and his word that moves you forward out of your comfort zone despite the circumstances around you. Jesus, very rarely, when it says weak faith he's, or little faith, he said it six times in the Gospels alone. That, you know, it, it's hard being Jesus. 
You literally come from a throne in heaven to earth. You pick 12 disciples, and he could not have possibly picked 12 worse people. Like every time he, he shows them, he teaches the crowd something, and he has to come back and reteach it to these 12 disciples. He's like, you still don't get it. Let me explain this to you. Oh, then as soon as something happens, oh, you of little faith. He sees a Roman centurion, which was the enemy of all the Jews. He says, wow, I've never seen such great faith. It's incredible. He didn't say that about his disciples. He said about a Roman centurion. And this Roman centurion was somebody who had a childlike faith that just asking Jesus to heal his servant. Jesus could heal him. And Jesus says, I have not seen such great faith in all of Jerusalem. And what he's saying is this man understands authority. He trusts authority that if he who is in authority says something, it must take place. And so if you say my servant shall be healed, then she shall be healed. And so there's great faith. Everyone in this room is on a sliding scale from no faith to great faith. Every single person. Why? Because faith is not static. It's not like you get saving faith and you stay there. And as time moves on, some of you have been in seasons of strong faith, and now you're in seasons of little faith. Some of you are in seasons of little faith, now you're in seasons of growing faith. Everyone has some level of faith, but my goal today is to make sure that you increase the faith that you have to a greater capacity and level. Because you may not need a new pair of Jordans, but you may need a promise of God. You may not need you know, a new job, but you may need God to be your provider throughout every season of your life. And the only way you receive things in the kingdom of heaven is by faith. And so if you need something more, you need more faith. And so I want to give you four ways to increase your faith. Four ways that if you do these things, it will increase your faith guaranteed. Because faith is a currency. So if you want to increase your currency, you need to invest your currency. Faith is a seed. If, if you want that seed to grow, you must plant that seed. Faith is a muscle that if you want that muscle to be strengthened and to grow, you must exercise that muscle. And faith is an energy that must be fed or fueled in order to maintain. And so I want, I want to walk these out. So number one is this. Faith is a currency. You need to invest it in God's purposes. That you can invest your faith, you can place your faith in a lot of things. But the only guaranteed return on your trust is not in your marriage, is not in your kids, is not in your job, is not in the government, is not in the news. The only guaranteed return on your investment of your trust and your faith is in the kingdom of heaven. You know, you can go get a CD right now for 4%, a whopping 4%, which means next year you've lost 3% to inflation. You can invest your money in the stock market. Guess what? You're going to lose your money. You can invest in Bitcoin. You're going to lose your money. You can invest your money in lots of places, but it, you can only invest your faith in one particular investment and it pay off. It's the kingdom of heaven. In the parable of the talents, Jesus is teaching about what he gives us and what he expects us to do with that. And one of the things he gives us is faith. And it says, it says this in Matthew chapter 25. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away, and he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. A hundred percent return on his money. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. 
But he would receive the one talent, went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I've made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. What's interesting is we in the Bible Belt believe this scripture is about salvation. It's not about salvation. When you hear, Well done, my good and faithful servant, that's not a salvation situation. It's a faith situation. His master, his, uh, let me skip down. His master said, well done, good, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. I'll set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I've made two talents more. And his master said to him, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had received one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. Reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground and have, here's what I have is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming I should have received what was mine with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. That will preach. For to everyone who has, who has will, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Meaning, God doesn't care how much you bring back. He, he rewarded the person with two talents. He only brought two talents more back. He rewarded him the same way as the one that had five talents and brought five more talents back. God is not concerned with the amount of return. He is just concerned that you use the faith that you have. So you may not have what you want. You may only have one talent. You may only have two talents. You may only have five talents. But part of the principle of the kingdom of heaven is this, that God gives you more when you use what he's already given you. And so if he's given me faith and I'm not using that faith, I just sit back and I hold on to it. I bury my life. I bury my faith. Well, I trust Jesus, my Savior, and that's it. And you bury your faith. Guess what? He's not going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. But if I take my one talent, and I invested in his purposes. And I say, God, you know, this is all the faith I have. I have enough faith to just make a little offering. I have enough faith to just be an usher. I have enough faith. Some people have the faith to go be missionaries. They can pack up and leave Pastor Scott Silcox. Talked about this Wednesday night. Some people just pack up and leave and go to China or Haiti or third world countries. They have that type of faith. Some people have enough faith to leave Nashville to come to Florence, Alabama. And then some people have enough faith just to walk across the street to their neighbor. But guess what? God rewards all faith the same way. As long as you're investing in the kingdom, there will be return on it. You look throughout the Bible, there's all Peter and John, after the day of Pentecost, they're walking through the city of Jerusalem. A guy is wanting to be healed. They said, we don't have silver or gold. I I can't give you what you're begging for, but get up and walk in the name of Jesus. See, they didn't have enough money for the... They didn't have enough gold or silver to help them, but what they did have, they used. And when you read the Bible, it's simply the simple obedience of using what God has given you to advance his kingdom. Moses didn't have much. He had a rod. He used his rod. He simply put his faith in his rod out in front of him, and it split the Red Sea. Look at the little boy with loaves and fishes. He just had a a few loaves of of bread and just a couple of fish, and they wanted to feed 5,000 people. 
And they, they asked, how are we going to feed all these people? And they said, well, this little boy has a couple of loaves of bread and just a couple of fish, and, and maybe we can use that. And Jesus takes it, he blesses it, and what was not enough is now more than enough. See, you may think you only have a few loaves and fishes, but it could be the story of somebody else's miracle. Because when you invest the faith you have, the return on your faith is always more than you could ever imagine. See, in Luke 16, 10, it says, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. Some of you are needing more faith. You've got to use the faith you have. Number two, if you want to increase your faith, faith is an energy. It's what fuels your journey with Jesus, what fuels your prayers, what fuels your worship. It's an energy, and like all energy, you must feed it, fuel it, and you feed faith, not with gasoline at $3 a gallon, thank you, Jesus. Not with an electric charger at your house for your EV vehicle, but you feed your faith with God's word, only God's word. You feed it, it's an energy, and, and when you feed it with God's word, it keeps it sustained and growing and functioning. And obviously, you know, God's word is his Bible. It's his truth. And a couple years ago, I bought for Christmas. We do this thing where with our kids for Christmas, we get them something to wear, something they need, and something to read, something they want. So four things. Something to read, something they need, something they want, and something to wear. That's kind of our little mantra. And so I was like, I'll get the kids new Bibles. And so we're these new Bibles for each one of the kids on Amazon and and so Amazon delivers these boxes, and Toy sends me this picture. So my dog, Sambo, who, it's like Jesus, Toya, Sambo, then my kids. It's kind of the hierarchy of our, our life. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you don't have teenage kids. The dog is the only one happy when I come home. <laughs> he doesn't ask me for money. He's not sending me cash app requests. Like, he loves me. And so Toya says, your dog. And she sends me this picture. And the dog had chewed up all the Amazon boxes and all the Bibles on the front porch. Now, Toy's like, you need to get rid of this dog, you need to do this. So I Google it, and I realize that dogs will eat up boxes on your front porch because they think their enemy's trying to invade your territory. So Sambo's trying to save our life, Toya. <laughs> He's protecting the house. Then I started thinking, you know what? My dog is a holy dog. My dog takes seriously you got to eat and feed on God's word. It is our daily bread. So I'm trying to use my dog as my example in life. Right? So he, he chewed it up. And so in Romans 10, 17, it says it this way. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The word, and at the time Paul's writing, this is not a physical Bible yet. It's only the teachings that are oral, verbal, being passed on from the apostles. F.F. Bosworth said it this way. Most Christians feed their body three hot meals a day and their spirit one cold snack a week. And they wonder why they're weak in faith. Why do we fast? Because we're trying to push back feeding our body so we can feed our Faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. It's interesting. Paul didn't say faith comes from hearing my words. He says that faith comes by hearing my good preaching. You know, I'm the apostle Paul. No, Paul even later on says, hey, I didn't come with you with, with amazing speech. I didn't come with you with, with great philosophy. I came with you just, just the word and power. He's not saying live by my words. Live by my, he said, no, the words of Christ, the humility of Paul with the confidence of saying, you have to live by the word of Christ. Not my words, but his words will feed your 
faith because what we listen to and who we listen to determines where we place our trust. And he's saying, don't listen to Paul. Don't listen to what I'm saying. Listen to the words of Jesus because when you listen to his words, it directs your focal point to Jesus instead of everything else. Instead of listening to what the mountain's saying or the news is saying, you listen to what Jesus is saying. And my power, my hope, my promises come from looking at him, not my mountains. And faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ it means you need to listen to good Bible-based preaching and teaching. You need to listen to it. You have access to YouTube and podcast and Spotify and all websites, all these amazing ways to listen to good preaching. But I'll give you a warning. Not all preaching is Bible-based preaching. Some are just cold snacks, while some are meat, some are milk. Some are cotton candy. Some are sugar infusions that make you feel good for the moment but don't produce any health or nutrition in your life. So biblical warning, sugar-coated preaching is dangerous for your soul. It'll give you a cavity in your spirit, man. It'll give you weakness in your bones. You'll be malnourished. You'll, you'll look strong on the outside, but your inner man will be weak and soft and scrawny and skinny and can't defeat any demon or anything that comes your way. You'll be so softened on the inside because of what you listen to and who you listen to will determine where you place your faith. That's why many, you know, nothing gets great preaching in, in you know, mega churches, anything like that. I've been part of that whole world. But some of these people... They follow the preacher more than they follow Jesus. Why? Because they're not listening for the words of Jesus. They're looking for the words of man. And so they place their faith and trust in man. And when the man fades away or the man has a moral failure or the man retires, all of a sudden they fade away because their trust wasn't in the, the words of Christ. They were in the words of man. So some of my favorite preachers are Dr. Tony Evans, Matt Chandler from Village Church, Adrian Rogers, God bless his soul, one of the greatest preachers of all time. Oral Roberts, the old Oral Roberts I watched on YouTube, Toy, years ago. I have my iPad out. If I can't sleep, Toy be asleep. And she'll wake up, she'll what are you doing? I, th I think she thought I had like a porn problem or something. Get an iPad out, it's like 2.30 in the morning. She's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm watching Oral Roberts. I'm watching old John Osteen videos. I'm watching all these old preachers because the preaching of years ago seemed to be more powerful and anointed than the preaching today. Listen to Miles Monroe, J.D. Greer from the Summit Church, John Osteen, John Tyson from Church of the City, Lee Cummings, part of the Radiant Network, Tim Keller, Gurr Jones, Jensen Franklin, all these amazing preachers. There's preachers that have good Bible-based preaching with an anointing that will stir your faith and increase your faith. Listen to the Bible. You can turn on the YouVersion Bible app or, or most Bible apps, and they'll actually read to you. If you have reading problems, maybe you're dyslexic, or maybe you, you don't know how to read well, and you're intimidated by reading a, you know, a big, thick book on your ride to work, just turn on YouVersion. It'll read you the Bible. There's other apps. You know you're having the Bible read to you by Denzel Washington. <laughs> Johnny Cash. So whatever your genre of music, there's somebody to read it. Johnny Cash can read you the Gospels. I haven't heard, you know, James Earl Jones obviously was the first ones to do that. You can hear James Earl Jones, who sounds like God himself, read you the Bible. Or if you're kind of, you know, one foot in the world and one foot in the church, you can have Samuel L. Jackson read you the Bible. I ain't gonna, he, may, he may cuss a little bit, but. Like, you can listen to the Bible. Why? Because hearing the words of Christ increases my faith.
Also, reading God's word, sometimes reading God's word out loud as you're reading your Bible. Reading place, well, how do you read the Bible? It's simple. Anyways, where do I get started? Get started in the book of John. Just read the book of John. So how do I do it? Make the time. Whether it's early in the morning, late at night, your lunch break, whatever. Make the time. Pick five minutes a day. Just five minutes. You can read one chapter a day in five minutes. Make time. Choose a plan. There's thousands of Bible reading plans out there. We have numerous ones on our, on our church center app or on the website. There's some that's called five by five by five, which means five days a week, five minutes a day for five chapters a week. Simple. Just pick a plan. Even if you just pick the book of John, say, I'm going to read one chapter a day, five days a week. Or I'm going to read one proverb a day because there's 31 proverbs. Just pick one and then read it and study it and read it out loud to yourself. Why? Because you're preaching to yourself. When you read the book of John to you out loud, say, he was the word. The word was God. The word was with God. You're preaching to yourself. You're hearing the words of Christ in your heart and your mind. And then finally, meditate on it. Just memorize scripture. Meditate on scripture. Let it soak into your soul. Psalm 19, 11, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you, my God. Why? They didn't just come from reading. It's storing scripture in your heart. What about early mentors in faith? Was a guy who got saved out of the Jesus movement and he had the same hairstyle from the 70s today. I literally think he goes and gets a perm once a month. He, came, he was a hippie. And he, he started telling me, he would tell me all these stories. He, he introduced me to Watchman Nee and Madame Guyon and, and some of these incredible just authors and writers from the mid-1900s. And, and one day he was telling me a story about his wife. So his wife had amnesia. Something happened medically. She was a doctor, but something happened medically. She had amnesia. Where she didn't recognize her husband, she didn't recognize her son, didn't recognize anybody. Literally, when he would walk in the room, she'd be like, who are you? I'm your husband. She's like, no, you're not my husband. The son would walk in, this is your son. No, that's not my son. I don't have any kids. It was that bad. But she could quote every single scripture she had ever read. You say, well, how can that happen? It's because you're reading, you're meditating, you're storing it, not in your mind. When your mind's not functioning, it's still in your heart. And my faith doesn't come from my mental choice. It comes from my soul and my heart and my inner man. That's, that's why the old, old school guys say you got to chew the cud. If you don't know what chew the cud is, when a cow eats, a cow has four stomachs. Kind of like me after fasting, four stomachs. And they'll chew the grass, the coarse you know, hay, alfalfa, whatever there is to eat, the grain. They'll, they'll begin to chew it up. And then they chew it up. They don't chew it all the way up. It becomes like this wad, and they'll swallow it into the, one of the first two stomachs. And they store it there for later times. Then they'll lay down and rest, and they'll cough up the cud, and they'll rechew it. Don't throw up on me. They'll rechew it, <laughs> and they swallow it again past the first stomach, past the second stomach, into the third stomach. Then it goes on to the fourth stomach, where it begins to, to pour the nutrients into its body, so then it can send nutrients to its udder to feed its calves, and it can have enough energy and strength to move and function as a cow. As a people, we kind of have the same dynamic. That when you just read scripture, if you just rush through it, you're not actually taking it in. You have, to, you have to read it, chew on it, chew on it, swallow it, bring it back up, chew on it, swallow it. And as you do, you begin to get the nutrients out of every single word in scripture. The Jews had this principle called parties. Not party like, 
you know, party like it's 1999, parties. It's an acronym, it's P-R-D-S, and it stands for this. Level one is Peshat. Peshat is a Jewish word that means like the, the surface level reading. And so when they would study Torah, they read the Bible, it's, it's a surface level reading. It's the plain reading of scripture, which is a great place for many of y'all to start with just to simply just read the word. Level one is just simply reading what God has already written or said. But level two is remise, which means hint. It's almost like every word is a telescope or a kaleidoscope that every time you read it, you see a different hint about God. Maybe a different hint of the promise. And there's this old saying, rabbis, you say that there's 70 faces to every character in Scripture. Which means every, not every word, every letter, you can turn it 70 different ways and see a different aspect of who God is. And I've read the Bible probably 30, 40 times now. Fully through. And every time I read it, I'm like, I didn't see that before. Why I pick up a different characteristic of God that I missed before. Why? It's like a kaleidoscope that every time you turn it, you see this new amazing awe and wonder about God. Level three is Jerash, which is systematic, which is where your theological studies come in, where you, you can connect the Old Testament to the New Testament, realize that the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament is actually Jesus in the New Testament, that you can connect you know, the sacrifices in the tabernacle temple to actually the, the Jesus in Calvary. You can start systematically putting it all together like one big jigsaw puzzle of the gospel and the plan of God. But level four is sued, almost like cud, but sued, and it's meditation. It's where you move beyond just reading scripture to where you start letting the scripture soak into your soul and you get into your heart. Because really when you read scripture, it's not about knowing the scripture. The Pharisees knew scripture. It's about storing the scriptures in your heart so you may not sin against your God. It's about storing scripture in your heart so you can obey him, not just with your actions, but with your thoughts and with your life, that his convictions become your convictions. Because in reality, that's a long distance from getting the scripture here to here. That 18, 24 inches is a big gap to cover. And as you meditate on God's word and you begin to soak in his word, it begins to increase your faith to obtain what God has before you. But number three is this. Faith is a seed. And like any seed, it only works when it's planted. And faith is a seed, and you have to plant it in the community of faith or the house of God. This one is what most people, I think, miss. Many people know I should read the scriptures. You know, you know I, should, I should invest everything in God's kingdom, not my own kingdom. But this one is where I believe people miss it in our day and age. And that's why I believe our faith is weak. It says this in Psalm 92, verse 12. It says, the righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted, where? In the house of the Lord. And they flourish in the courts of God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. He's saying that those who flourish, it's because of where they're planted. And wherever you decide to plant your life at, you will produce the fruit thereof of the soil. And he's saying, but in this kingdom of God, those who are righteous plant themselves in the house of God or in the temple courts. And as they do, they begin to flourish and they have fruit in young age, mid age, and even old age. They're still producing fruit. Why? Only planted plants grow and only planted Christians increase their faith. It's that simple. 
It, it is that simple. You know, I, I don't have much farm experience. When I grew up, there was tobacco farms around us, which is the worst crop ever to harvest. And my dad grew marijuana. So my only experience in agriculture is illegal. And so my dad would come home and check his plants after, school, after he got up from work. He's checking on the plants. I'm like, we don't have a farm. You know, he's checking on his plants. Now that when I was 18, like, you know, oh, he's checking on his plants. I'll go steal one or two and stuff. Like that whole night. But here's what I know about plants. Potted plants only grow to the size of the pot they're in. So they're restricted. So if you have a house plant in your house, that plant is restricted based on the size of the container that it's planted in. If you took it out of that pot and you put it in a field, it would grow much bigger and increase in size. Then you have people, maybe, maybe you're a potted plant that you, you're here, but you're not really here. You just, you bring your pot and set it on the pew on Sunday, then you take your pot and you set it in your house on Monday. You take your pot to work on Tuesday, then you bring it back, then you bring it back on Sunday, and you're like, well, wow, well, I just feel like, you know, I just feel like this, this Christian thing's not for me. That's because you have no roots in the house of God. Your roots are in a pot. Some of, you, some of us are, are transplanted pots where you've been a member of every church in the shoals. We, we talk about, like, well, I'll be a member of this church for this year, and the next year I'll try this church, and the next year I'll try this church, which is fine. I believe God sees us as one big church anyway with different rooms. But there's something about when you uproot a plant and you try to plant that plant in another soil, it has what it calls transplant shock. And its roots never actually take root in the soil enough to withstand the storms. It may look healthy, but once a storm comes, it begins to fade and wither and die. Then you have planted plants. Planted plants receive the blessing and the benefit of developing deeper, stronger roots and endure for generations so other people can eat the fruit off their tree. That, that, that's what this scripture is really talking about. People who plant themselves in the house of God, in the atmosphere of the house, in the, in the ministry of the house, so they can produce the fruit thereof. And, and so if you've ever been to California and seen the big sequoia trees, these huge trees, they'll go 300 foot high, 30 feet in circumference. They're huge. You can drive cars through them. They withstand earthquakes and storms and all these mudslides, all these things, they withstand all this, but their root structure is not super deep, right? So if it's 300 foot high, it may be a 30 foot deep root system. If you know anything about trees, usually the root system is the same height almost as the tree. So what they found is, how, how do these sequoias stay, stay? They don't fall over, they don't get taken down. How do they withstand all this wind, all this rain? All, how do they withstand all this stuff? And what they realized was that sequoias, instead of growing super deep, they grow deep and then wide, and they all interconnect. So this sequoia tree is supported by this sequoia tree, and this one is supported by this sequoia tree, and all together they're roots. So if one starts to get weakened and shaken, it's supported by the others. In the house of God, it's something like that, where even though your faith may be shaken, if it's planted in the house of God, it's connected to other people of faith that can strengthen you and support you through those seasons to keep you standing. That's what... That's what David had figured out here. So he's saying, be rooted in the community of faith because there's strength in the root system of the church. Now, I know in a day of deconstruction that people think, you know, the church is, no, the church is the community, it's the house of God, the community of faith, the temple courts, it's where your root system, and roots means your source and your support. 
Roots means that's where my support comes from, that's where my source is. And to be honest, many Christians, their roots aren't in the house of God. Their roots are in sports. That's, that's where their, their source is. That's where their joy is. That's where their hope is. That's where their, their, their fun is. That's where their love is. That's where their support system is. Or maybe it's at your job. That's where your source is. That's where your support is. No matter where, many times you have, you have your roots in the wrong place. But they need to be rooted in community. Community effect. That's why you know, community groups here and teams are good. Because they're trying to help you get your roots situated. Essentials are trying to get your roots situated so you can flourish in your life and flourish in your faith and flourish in your journey. In Romans 1.11, Paul says this. He says, I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is why we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. That when I'm weak, you can be strong. And when you're weak, I can be strong. And that we can encourage one another to remain strong and increase our faith. There's something, I, I told this story before, there's something about when somebody says, me too. Right? I'm not talking about the hashtag me too movement. I'm just talking about when you're going through hell and you're talking to somebody, you start sharing your weakness and they say, me too, brother. But let me tell you how I overcame. Let me tell you what God did in my story years ago. Our oldest daughter was dealing with seizures. She had her first seizure the day after Christmas, I think when she's six, seven years old, and we're walking through that. And I, I, I shared this testimony, I shared this story at Cornerstone, our home church back in Nashville. And a guy took me out to lunch, and he said, hey, I just wanted to kind of encourage you. He said, our daughter's going through the same thing. Basically said, me too. And we kind of walked, we could share stories about doctors and all the stuff. He was kind of farther along in the process, and then encouraged me. And then here, a couple years ago, we watched our daughter get medically and spiritually healed. They told her she had these folds in her brain. They said, you know, the seizures may go away at some point, but those folds in her brain, that'll never go away. We had prayer, and some of the ladies of the church stood with Toy and prayed. They said, God told us to stay with you and stand behind you until she's healed. She's no more seizures after a while. She had to get her permit, so you can't get your permit with seizures. So we go back to Vanderbilt. They do all the scans. They said, look, like she's medically cleared. And, I can't, and they said, we cannot explain this. The seizures could go away, but her, the folds in her brain are gone away. Where did that faith come? My faith increased when somebody else imparted their spiritual gift, which was faith into me, and said, me too. See, there's something about the body of believers that strengthens one another, which means you need to be rooted. You can't be a spectator. You need to be a participator. You're not a watcher in worship. You're a worshiper in worship. You don't occupy a pew. You occupy territory. It's a different mindset. You're not a consumer. You're a producer. I'm not here to receive. I'm here to give because it's blessed to give than it is to receive. But when I give, then I receive back, and it increases your faith. And last but not least, number four, faith is a muscle. And if you're going to see it grow and strengthen, You've got to exercise it. Well, pastor, how do I exercise my faith? Through simple obedience to God. Romans 12, 3 says, For by the grace given me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith. Everybody say measure. Measure of faith that God has assigned. Everyone in this room has a measure of faith God has given you. A measure. It may be big, it may be small. Just like God has given everyone muscles. Some are big, some are small. Some have muscular legs, some have chicken legs like me. But there's muscles there, you just can't see them. Right? But it's a measure of muscle. 
And so what I do with that muscle determines if the muscle strengthens or not. Faith is a muscle. If it's not used, it apathies. It means it decreases. Like if you ever broke an arm, put it in a cast. Six weeks later, you take your cast off. This leg is still skinny. This one's much skinnier. Or your arm, this one was muscular. Now it's scrawny. Why? Wow, muscles apathy. And your muscles apathy because you haven't used them. And then all of a sudden, yours comes across. You're like, you know, next year's going to be the year I become a bodybuilder. No, it's going to be the same as last year, I promise you. You go to the gym, you go get a membership for a year that you're not going to use but one time at Planet Fitness or the YMCA or workout anytime. You go to the gym, the first day of the gym, you try to show everybody you still got what it takes. You ain't lifted a weight since high school. Well, in high school, I bitched, I bitched 225. Oh, good for you. And you go into the gym, you try to put 225 on that bar. And you're 45 and you weigh 245. And you start pushing well, you start, you know, people walk in, you don't want them thinking you're weak, so you start trying to show off all your muscles. You know what happens the next day? You're sore. You are sore. Nothing happened. Your muscles are the same size, just a little bit more swollen. You, you can't drink your coffee because your arms don't move like that, so you're drinking, you're trying to pour it down. You can't get out of the bed. You're sore. Why? Because that muscle hadn't been used in a long time. And so what happens is many times people will feel that soreness, and they we'll stop going to the gym because I'm just too sore to go today and they break the habit. Spiritually the same way, people that, that haven't been exercising their faith muscle, when they finally have to use it because something happens in their family or in their life or in their journey, they finally have to use it, it's hard, it, it hurts, it feels like it's a huge sacrifice and they kind of pull back. Why? Because the muscle had apathy. That's why you see people, they'll, they'll come, they realize they need to give their life to Jesus, they give their life to Jesus, and after two, three months, they fade away. Why? Because their muscles are so sore, they start using muscles they never used before, and they become weak and sore from trying to exercise them. I'm here to tell you that if you don't use your faith, it decreases and declines and weakens. As a person, as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, you are in the kingdom of heaven by faith and for faith. Everything. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is a sin. But yet Christians in our comfort, I'll tell you this, the greatest enemy of the faith is not a, a, a communist government. The greatest enemy of faith is not, not persecution or uh, changing the laws of the nation to, to remove the religion or, or freedom of religion. The greatest enemy of the faith is not the devil himself and demonic activity or spiritual warfare. The greatest enemy of your faith is none of those things. The greatest enemy of your faith is comfort, apathy, and prosperity. Comfort, apathy, and prosperity. You say, how do you know that, Pastor? Because every time in the Old Testament that the people of God fell away from God, it wasn't because of war. It's because of prosperity. When you get comfortable, your muscles weaken. When your muscles weaken, it's harder to believe God for something else. So the cycle in the Old Testament was God would deliver his people. They'd worship, oh God, the great deliverer, the redeemer, the healer, all your victory. They have all these great worship songs. God would bless them. He'd bless them. They'd reap the benefits of the blessing. And all of a sudden they'd get comfortable. They got comfortable. They're weakened in their faith. They begin looking at the other gods, the other idols. They fall into idolatry. Then they get taken over by the enemy. And then all of a sudden they cry out to God, deliver us. Well, it wasn't the enemy they need to be delivered from. It was their apathy. 
And what's incredible is the American church, we've designed church to be the most comfortable place in the world. Instead of being a place that stretches your faith, to exercise your faith, to be who God has called you to be. If you want to grow your muscles in faith, just simply use the ones you currently have. He's given you a measure, use it. Whatever you can use it for. If it's God saying, hey, simply, hey, share the gospel with this girl that works at the gas station. Share the gospel with the girl at Chick-fil-A, well, not Chick-fil-A because they're all saved anyway. Share the gospel with this worker at Popeye's. Share the gospel. Maybe ask that they need healing. Maybe it's talking to your neighbor. Whatever it may be, just simply, maybe it's to start giving or start tithing. Just stretch your faith. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. And you weaken, you become apathetic. And what's the worst thing that can happen to you is you have no faith. But not that you have no money. Money comes, money goes. But to not have faith. If I don't have faith, I can't get a healing. If I don't have faith, I can't get provision from God. If I don't have faith, I can't get deliverance. If I don't have faith, I can't get this. If I don't have faith, like faith is the most important thing about you. But when you're comfortable, it's the last thing you think about. You sit in your recliner, your spiritual recliner, just clicking through the channels instead of being stretched in your faith. Exercise it through simple obedience. Do you realize David didn't just kill Goliath? David exercised his faith first on a lion, on a bear. And I'm sure, you know, there were some other things in there. I don't think people just start with, you know, I'm going to try my faith on a lion today. There's probably a squirrel and a bunny rabbit, you know, a little lizard, maybe a snake. How do you grow your faith? By simply obeying God with what he's already told you. So, pastor, how do I grow my faith this year? Go back to the last thing God told you and be obedient to that. Maybe it was to forgive somebody. Maybe it goes back to the, the, the apostles. Increase our faith. Maybe that's where you stopped. Maybe it's for you to forgive somebody. Maybe for you to take a step of commitment to Jesus. Maybe it's for you to set down some sins that you've been habitually walking. Maybe for you it's something financial. Maybe for you it's something with healing. Whatever the last thing God told you, simply be obedient to that. It will stretch you. It will strengthen your muscles. And then God will give you the next thing to be obedient to. See, and I'm closing. I know y'all are looking at the clock, but I'm closing. We think, especially in charismatic Pentecostal circles, we think that miracles or promises happen for this big one-moment experience or this encounter. If we can just get people to encounter the presence of God, the miracles will happen, the signs and wonders will happen, and I believe all that. But when I read Scripture and in my own life, the way I see promises fulfilled and miracles manifest is this. Simple, small steps of faith through simple obedience, lead to the miracles and promises of God. So I don't, I, I don't know what your simple faith is. I know that if I'm driving back to Nashville, I can't see all the way to Nashville. But my car has headlights where I can see about 25, 30 feet in front of me. And as I move 20, 30 feet, those headlights get 25, 30 feet farther in front of me. That's how faith happens, that you have enough faith for the next step, and then God will reveal the next step to you. And it's through simple obedience. So if you would just bow your heads and close your eyes just for a second. Next week we're going to talk about how to activate or release your faith, which I think is, is, is needed for all of us. But today it's about how to increase your faith. That God wants to do things in and through every single person in this room. But he only does it through faith. And so if we were to go through that whole sliding scale of no faith to, to great faith. 
all of us are on that scale at, at some place. And my, my goal for you today is not to move you from no faith to great faith, but to move you one step. So some of you, maybe you have weak faith. I, I want to see God move you to little faith. Maybe you have little faith. I want to see you go little faith to growing faith. Maybe somebody of growing faith, I want to see you from growing, go from growing faith to strong faith. If you have strong faith, I want to see you go from strong faith to growing faith. But some of you have no faith at all. I don't want to see you go from no faith to saving faith. So before we you know, leave this place, this is, this is the chance for you to have no faith. And God is stirring you to activate that saving faith in Jesus Christ. With every head bowed, every eye closed. This is the gospel, simply the gospel. That God created the heavens and the earth. He created this earth with the Garden of Eden, placed Adam and Eve in that garden. He created everything perfect. There was no sickness, no disease. There was no violence, no crime. There was no racism, no hatred. There was no cancer. There were no funerals. It was perfect. And God gave them all this freedom. He said, you can eat of anything you want. This, all this is yours. You have all this authority, all this dominion. Except this one tree. Because if you eat of this one tree, it makes everything else fall apart. So eat of everything but this one tree. And they eat of that tree. They sinned against God. They thought their way was better than God's way. They thought their words were more authoritative than God's words. And since that day, that decision has fueled all of us. All sickness, all disease, all violence, all crime, all, everything we face as negative comes from this one moment. But in that moment, God had a plan to bring his own son to earth to restore everything back to that Garden of Eden. And do that through his own blood, through his own sacrifice, we call him Jesus. And he restores everything back. The same dominion, the same authority we had in the garden we now have. But the only caveat to that is, instead of saying, I want to eat what I want to eat of, you place your trust in his words again and say, I will do what you want me to do. I've sinned against you because your works can't get you there. On your best day is still your worst in the kingdom of heaven. Doesn't matter who your mom or daddy is, he brings you into a new kingdom with a new family, with a new purpose and a new journey. But it starts saying, I am not good enough. And I know the world will tell you you are. You're good just the way you are. But the beginning of the kingdom of heaven, it starts with, I am not good enough. I don't have what it takes to live this life on my own. I don't have what it takes to get to heaven on my own. I need you, Jesus. And I confess that. I need that. And I want you in my life. I lay down my life so I can have yours. And from that day forward, you begin experiencing heaven on earth through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And you are prepared for when Jesus returns to set up his kingdom, that you can be part of his kingdom here on earth. So if you say, that's me. I, you know, it's beginning of 2023. I realize I've placed my trust in myself and pulling myself up by my, my own bootstraps and, and doing things my way. And, you, know, I, you know, I try to not feel guilty of that, but I realize now, I just need to place my trust in Jesus. It's starting to fetch you. I'm not going to have you come forward. I'm not going to have you stand up. I'm going to simply have you raise your hand. He said, that's me. I just want to, I want that today. A fresh start, a new beginning. If that's you, just slip your hand up real quick. Thank you. Anybody else? Wait just a moment. Thank you. You can put your hands down after you raise them. I'm going to pray in just a second. But after I pray, I'm going to ask you to do me one favor. That as you leave, you'll stop by Connection Point. Just let them know, hey, I prayed that prayer with Pastor. We want to get you some resources in your hands and help you take the next steps of faith 
so you can walk and flourish in the kingdom of heaven. Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the measure of faith you've given us. And Father, as we talk about increasing our faith, I just pray that you increase the measure we have, but also give us the the courage and the boldness to increase the faith we have by taking bigger steps of faith. And Father, for those who have simply just responded going from no faith to saving faith this moment, I pray that you seal this moment with your Holy Spirit. As they confess their need for you as sinners, they repent of their past ways, I pray that you wash them in the blood of Jesus, you cleanse them from all unrighteousness, you cleanse their minds of filth, and you set their feet on the solid ground of Jesus. So Father, from this day forward, I pray it's the beginning, not the end of a brand new journey with you, that you walk beside of them, you go before them, you go behind them, and you walk with them from this time all the way to eternity. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. If you would stand.